This is the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340, WTAN. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727 541 1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car's been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727 541 1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. I suppose one of the reasons I like the Targa so much is because it's very similar to rallying, which I did before circuit racing. The race is 11 laps over 45 miles of open mountain roads. The day of the race, the roads are closed, but for most of the other practice time on the Targa, they're open to the general public, and this causes all sorts of excitement. The biggest difficulty isn't really the road, but the animals or small children that might be waiting around the next corner. Come on, I'll give you a ride on the circuit. The trick at the Targa Florio, aside from staying on the road, is to go as fast as possible for as long as possible. Fast through that one. Fast through this one. And brake all over the road for the hairpin, because you have to slow down for the hairpin anyway. Accelerate smoothly. Then tuck in round this corner, mind the little stones that cut the tyres. Fast through that one. Then apex for this one just around the corner because you want to be on the right coming down the hill. It's fast onto the bridge because the surface is quite good. Then accelerate again for this short straight. Flat out through the right and left flick. Watch it here because the road surface changes. And again as fast as possible on the approach to the hairpin. Careful through here. On race day these walls will be just solid with people. They'll be standing on them, sitting on them, and all you can see is legs and feet. Like driving through a tunnel, almost. This is the section where I usually have my practice accidents. Two years ago in a Porsche I hit an Alfa Romeo service car. And then last year, <laughs> last year I hit a local. The Targa Florio really is a relic from the past. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tan Talk, 1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, golfstreammotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you miss any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our archive page, where we have all our 400-plus shows recorded. So, well, we got another exciting show for you tonight. Uh, it's coming into that car season, and it's time for some of the best car shows. Matter of fact, it's time for one in particular. It's time for the Amelia, excuse me, <coughs> the Amelia Island Concourse. 
which is by far the best show in the country. And uh, I want to credit Bill Warner for that because he is the founder and CEO. But, you know, a lot of guys put on car shows, but a very, and they all like cars, don't get me wrong, but Bill really, really, really likes cars and is extremely knowledgeable. And uh, so we're going to have him on this afternoon, and we're looking forward to it. He comes on here annually, and he is probably, you know, just a super nice guy, just does a just a total commitment to putting on one of the best automotive functions in the country. And Amelia Island has grown. Bill started that show probably, I think it was now 1996. By the time I heard about it and I wanted to go to it, I think we had a conflicting schedule because I think it was a vintage race going on at the same time which is usually the first weekend or second weekend in March. So the following year, in 1997, I did attend. And, uh, in fact, I was up there with Chris Dunn from Lincoln Land, my good friend. I think one of the featured cars was a Lincoln, if, if I remember correctly. And uh, there was a beautiful display. So he drove up a 64 Lincoln Continental. I flew up, we hung out, and then we drove back together. And uh, we got stories on uh, about 301 and driving through Lottie and Stark. And you definitely, definitely, if you're taking 301 north, in other words, what a lot of guys will do is they'll leave from here at Pinellas County, go up 75, hang over on, I think it's uh, 336 is the road that cuts over. It's kind of like the third or fourth exit past Ocala. And it's kind of like a little bypass road. Then you get on three. Then you get on 301, and then uh, or 441 actually, and then 301 veers off from there. And then that's when the fun begins because when it says 55 miles an hour, you do 55 miles an hour. When it says do 45, you do 45. When it says 65, you do 65. When it says 25, you better be on the binders doing 25 miles an hour because Johnny Law is just waiting for you. Not a lot going on in them small towns. Uh, maybe some uh, chain gangs and a few things like that, and a lot of farming going on. But uh, Johnny Law, you know, one of the way for them to collect a lot of uh, municipal revenue is, yes, by means of issuing you a traffic citation. So, anyway, all right, so what did we do this past weekend? This past weekend, we went to Orlando and we partook in the international, the Orlando International Music and Guitar Festival. Um, a lot of fun, met a lot of people, and I will actually say this is the first time that I actually acquired every little piece I needed to finish my 65 uh, Fender Mustang guitar. I found pickups, I found switches, I found a bridge cover, uh, some other odds and ends, a uh, early style correct, period correct. Now get this, you know, you guys are familiar with the term in cars, you know, we buy period correct stuff for the cars, we make period correct modifications and stuff like that. That holds true to just about anything that's collectible. And uh, so if you do period modifications, period correct, that is, modifications to, let's say, a guitar, um, maybe any other musical instrument, or your motorcycles, or your bicycles, and obviously your cars, period correct modifications are totally acceptable. Because chances are that's what we would have done in the first place. And uh, so I was kind of like hanging out there with a lot of guys that are real super serious guitar aficionados. And they got some great stories, and there were some guitars there. I mean, the term that you hear a lot of guitars is refin. Refin means refinished. And uh, so a refin, in fact, I probably should start using that in the car world, too, because when the car's been redone, it's been refinished. It's refined or re, uh, what's the word we call it, reconditioned, a recon. And actually, that's actually what we use in the in the salvage business. We call it a recon. And, or not salvage, in the, in the, in the reconditioning in the car, used car world. And boy, do I have some stories about used car dealers here lately. I'll tell you what, I got some. We'll have to just dedicate a whole show to that. The do's and don'ts, the ins and outs, and I'll tell you what, you know, 
they're just as bad as lawyers, and which is one notch above a uh, contractor and a politician, and who knows? They're just all bad. You just buy. You got to. You know what? Nowadays, you have to be so cautious about what you do. You have to ask questions. You have to educate yourself. And you know what? The cool thing is, is you got access to the computer, so you can do that. But anyway, let's go back to the uh, guitar expo. So there was a lot of guys that had some pretty cool guitars, and uh, you know, most people are familiar with Fenders and Gibson and Gretsch's and Hoffners and things like that. And the cool thing about the show is, just like uh, Morty was talking about last week, and he's of course the uh, founder and CEO of the. Uh, Orlando International Guitar and Music Expo, or Music and Guitar Expo, and he was right. You know, what you'll have is, like, we were there on Friday night. I went there early, and I was kind of like uh, raping and pillaging and hanging out because it's dealers only. And uh, via the fact that we have media access, we tend to get in there early, and we don't we don't abuse the privilege. That's the whole idea. If you get a media credential, do not abuse the privilege because once they take it away, word gets around. It becomes an issue. At any rate, uh, so I kind of was kind of talking to a lot of guys, and you kind of build a relationship and a bond with these guys, and they start telling you stories, you know, and you buy a little trinket here and a little something there, and and lo and behold. But on Saturday and Sunday, you know, a lot of guys off the streets come in there, and they might be carrying an old vintage guitar that they either found at a garage sale, found under somebody's bed, they was given to them, it might be a relative's, or they lost interest in it. And some pretty cool stuff was floating around, some really early vintage stuff. Just to give you an idea, one guy had a Les Paul that was somewhere... I'm going to say out of the 50s, and that guitar was valued at a quarter of a million dollars, and that blew my mind. And it was a refin, and they said if it hadn't have been a refin, it probably would have been worth 400000 That's just mind-blowing. You know, when you talk about these early 50s, there was numerous 50s, 60s strats, early 50s strats. And if you recall a few months back over the summertime, we had Dick Dale on the show, and Dick Dale still has his mid-50s Stratocaster, and uh, Fender, that is. Fender Stratocaster, which was kind of like the first really cool guitar. You know, Clapton paid, played it. Um, Jimi Hendrix played it. You know, a lot of notable guitar players um, played it. Jim uh, Richie Blackmore and um, the guy from Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. Uh, I came. Tommy. Who's David the, Gilmore. That's it, David Gilmore. And uh, I'll be thinking about this. We had Nick Mason on the show. Actually, we interviewed him in Monterey. That was pretty cool. But he's a drummer. At any rate, uh, so you know the the the, the electric uh, uh, Stratocaster is probably the you know the most recognizable guitar. Um, Gretches, you know, there was Gretches were used pretty much by um, the old time country singers. They liked those. The Fender Telecaster is kind of a country twangy guitar. The Gibson Les Paul is kind of like a rock and roll, you know, Jimmy Page kind of guitar. And uh, some of those guys, uh, the SG, which is one of my favorites in, in the Gibson lineup, was the really cool little batwing-looking kind of thing. And uh, that's uh, Frank Zappa, Robbie Krieger. Uh, actually, Eric Clapton played one there for a short period of time when he was with Cream. Let's see who else played that. Uh, Tommy Iommi from Black Sabbath. But at any rate, those are your, most, your more common guitars. Your, your Taylors and your Martins are kind of like your acoustic guitars and it's just kind of a cool world, but I will tell you this, no different than in the car world, you definitely stay with what you know and don't deviate from it because you can really get messed up because you know, talk about all the issues we have with uh, counterfeit car parts and reproduction car parts and little games people play. Oh yeah, they do that in the guitar world too. I mean, you're looking on the back of this thing, <coughs> talking about um, guys that come up with stamps, restamp something, they re-wax something, they paint something, then they wax coat it so it looks original, then they weather it a little bit. I mean, they kind of, uh, let's just say relicate is the term they use. You really, really, really got to know your stuff. You got to know the wires. You got to be able to tell by looking at the solders. 
you know, it's just uh, extremely complicated. So the best thing to do is if you're, uh, if you really get into it, get into it. If you don't and you're just doing it as a hobbyist, just uh, hopefully you hang out with the right guys and you get the right deal and, you know, you get something pretty cool. So that's pretty much what we did over the weekend. And let's see, what else did I do? Oh, yeah, I was kind of like diddy bopping up towards uh, cutting through Lake County a little bit. And I was going past the uh, an air park up there. And I drive by this air park all the time, and there's all these hangars out there. And you know as well as I do, in an airport hangar, besides airplanes, somebody's going to have cars and motorcycles and maybe even some boats. So this particular, this was Sunday afternoon, for some strange reason, four or five of the hangars had the doors open. And, you know, they're big, giant folding doors. You know, some of those buildings are like four or 5,000 square feet. Some are 8,000, some are 10,000, some are 20,000. And they got, just like we might have three or four cars in the garage, this guy got three or four or five or six or seven eight airplanes in there. You know, little Cessnas, little Beechcrafts. Little pipers, just all kinds of stuff. You know, single engine, twin engines, all kinds of cool stuff. Tail draggers, you name it. They're there. But one of the guys that I talked to up there is named Smoke. So this is a shout-out to Smoke. And uh, he's kind of like a uh, airplane, aeroplane caretaker. He's a aeronautical mechanic, so he works on those little vintage puddle jumpers. But And he kind of likes cars, too. So <laughs> there was a couple of cool cars and a couple of them. And... Uh, so he drove me around the, the, the place there a little bit, and then he says, oh, here's the runway. And I said, where's the runway? He goes up there at the top of the hill. So he drove up to one end of it, and then he took me down to the other end of it, and I said, hmm, that's kind of cool. I said, that makes a perfect drag strip. And he goes, shh, we don't tell anybody, but we do do that every once in a while. They drag strip on it. They drag race. But at any rate, so that was kind of cool. But, you know, that's it, the whole thing. You know, car guys, airplane guys, boat guys, you know, motorhome guys, truck guys. And my good friend IG, if he's listening, he's in the big semis. I mean, guys collect semis, vintage semis, and they restore these things. That's pretty cool. You know, fire trucks, you've seen them, some of the car shows. So you can collect just about anything. Anyway, let's go to the Florida Car Shows Minute, FLA Car Shows Minute. If you want to find out where all the car shows are in the state of Florida, definitely check out flacarshows.com. And what do we got coming up? Well, naturally in a month, yeah, about a month, we got Amelia Island. And this weekend, I think down in Miami, they have the Deutsche... Renntreffen, which is kind of like a all Porsche event. Oh, no, excuse me. Der Renntreffen. Uh, the Renntreffen. Translated. Uh, Ren races, uh, the racing meeting, something like that. A gathering. Gathering. Treffen means gathering. Ren means race. Der means the. Okay. And then, of course, uh, we're back to Renegers because they have the big swap meet up there. But uh, every second Sunday of the month, they have a guitars and cars swap meet. So I may be up there. I'm not sure where I'm going to be yet. I got a lot of stuff to do. I got my own stuff I got to fix. Well, namely, Miss Moneypenny. She needs a little attention. But I think what we're going to do is we're going to go to a uh, break. We're going to play a little musique. And we're going to come back in a few. And don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Here's a little Nelson Riddle. Route 66. This used to be one of my favorite TV shows in the early 60s. Hey, don't touch that dial. This is Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you will be listening to us when we come back in a few minutes.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back. You're tuning into Nostalgic Freedom Cars, and uh, I have flacarshows.com, the website. And uh, don't forget to Lakeland Sun and Fun. That is the third weekend uh, of this month, I think. That's over in Lakeland, so that should be a lot of fun. And then I think they're doing a show in Zephyr Hills. And uh, so definitely go to flacarshows.com, and you can find out where all that stuff is. And let's see, I saw something else kind of on <coughs> Excuse me, the little side banner here flashing up and a lot of car shows gosh there's a lot of car shows of course the weather's perfect we've had some great weather been a little foggy lately big mustang car show up in uh pensacola that's been going on for years obviously old town they have their deal every weekend over at old town in orlando that's a lot of fun and uh so there's no shortage of car shows so i think um I was uh, working uh, with a couple guys on some rare parts here not too long ago, and uh, it's 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 the, the the market out there for the for for classic and antique cars is pretty stable. So I'm kind of pleased with that. I think a lot of the guys that are, especially if you're looking for like um, twenty thirty thousand dollar cars, you know that market is pretty good. Um, so if you want to buy a Mustang, if you want to buy a Chevelle. Even in some cases, uh, Camaros, Firebirds, uh, Mopars, E-bodies, B-bodies, you know, which basically uh, darts or A-bodies. Uh, B-bodies are obviously Roadrunners and GTXs and stuff like that. I um, can't remember what they call the big cars. Um, I think they're C-bodies. Might be like a big Chrysler New Yorker or something like that or a big Dodge Polara. Some of those cars are pretty collectible. But I got to tell you, you know, I uh, go on facebook every once in a while so don't forget to follow us on social media that's Gulfstream motorsports and nostalgic green cars and if you want to laugh every once in a while go to boneyard bob the angry car guy that's me um that's my anonymous <laughs> supposed to be anonymous i just told it just get just told the whole world but at any rate on uh, the angry car guy um I, I join a lot of groups on there because that's just a personal facebook page and then what i do is i share that to nostalgic and i share that to uh, Gulfstream motorsports and uh, a lot of cool stuff out there. I mean, you know, you can just go through there. And, of course, I like the old stuff. I mean, I, I, I'm 
hooked up with one group that's got you know a lot of gassers on it, so you see a lot of gassers on there, a lot of classics, a lot of any sports cars, a lot of racing scenes. So it's almost like uh, I can see where social media gets quite addictive, and um, you know, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. The thing about the the social media stuff and Facebook is there's just a ton and ton of stuff on there. I mean, so it's almost easier to go to Facebook and start searching around and just watch what's going by there and just click on it and share it or you know it'll link you to something else. And next thing you know, you spend hours and hours and hours. I mean, it's like why why do you even need a TV anymore? You know, because TV. I mean, pretty much a lot of the stuff on TV is kind of dopey anyway. And uh, but but it'll, but if you want to you know get something out of it you know that's something that's kind of meaningful to some extent you know a lot of the stuff on Facebook is really not that bad now I'm not a big social media fan or anything of that nature but I do see the value in it and the kind of like the educational aspect of it and when I say educational I mean because you see stuff on there and you go wow you know and it really is it truly is a trip down memory lane so I think it's about time to get our guests on the line here. I'm going to uh, fire up the stereo again. We're going to play a little jazz for you. And uh, not that uh, Route 66, which was done by Nelson Riddle, Riddle uh, obviously a jazz band leader, but uh, we're going to play some more stuff here. I think we got Maynard, Furs- Maynard Ferguson. So, hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. As soon as cars were for sale, they were being raced along country roads, from city to city, wherever they could be driven fast. There wasn't so much distinction then between street cars and race cars. The difference was all in the men who drove them. You had to be a little bit of a daredevil to race back then, hurtling along at 100 miles an hour with nothing but goggles and nerve. Right from the beginning, it was a spectacle filled with action and accidents. As early as the 20s, thousands of people lined the courses in Europe and America. Before long, new folk heroes were born. Tazio Nuvolari, Alberto Ascari, Camille Genazzi. They hobnobbed with the rich and titled elite of the continent, swept along by the mystique of their machines. Racing changed, and the spectacle hardened into a sport, but it never quite became a science.
they say it's not like it used to be, that it's all sterilized and organized, too professional. But from behind the wheel, sliding through the turns and flying down the straights, it hasn't changed a bit. Probably best known as being an original rally driver and one of the first to actually tame the Porsche 917. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. I'm delighted to welcome back to Nostalgic Radio and Car for the ninth year in a row, my good friend and founder and CEO of the world's best car show. No, it's it's a concourse d'elegance. I shouldn't say that. Bill Warner. Bill, how you doing? Hey, fine. You remembered you had... Uh uh, Birdland with Maynard Ferguson, one of my favorites. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, anyway, and I thought you'd appreciate the little thing from uh, Vic Elford, because I know he was a... Uh, yeah, yeah. He'll uh, be there here this year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he always comes to Amelia. He always comes to Amelia. And you know what? I mean, and if you had to rate drivers, where do you put Vic? He was kind of like, uh, he was up there with some of the best, wasn't he? Vic was probably the one of the most versatile. You know, he, he, he had a stab at, at NASCAR. But he was a rally driver first. He went from rallying to the Daytona 24-hour in eight days. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, he'd never driven a prototype, and there he is in, in, uh, at Daytona. In a, uh, I think it was a 907 at the time. Maybe a 908. I, I'll have to go back and check my records. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, 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 he's just fantastic. Like I say, he's versatile, and he, he, he claims, and I think rightly so, that he was the one who tamed the 917, which was... Uh, when Porsche came out that car, it was, a, it was an abomination. I mean, drivers didn't want to drive it. It was so scary. And then Wolf got killed in it at Le Mans. He was a privateer. And uh, everybody was, boy, I don't think I want to drive that car. And with his rally experience and, and driving cars where, he, you know, you're all loosey-goosey all the time. Anyway, he, he mastered it. <laughs> Well, he was telling us that when he was going down to Molson Strait, how that thing would just get totally airborne. And I guess, uh, was it him or Brian Redmond? One of us said that they just went ahead, and it was John Wire or something, they put a really tiny little lip spoiler on the back, and that changed the whole dynamics of the car. Well, when they were testing the car, they were testing originally with long tail. And then uh, uh, Wire was one to put, you know, like a sheet of plywood on the back and created a, um, a bobtail to it, which made all the difference in the world in stability. The early days of aerodynamics, isn't it incredible? I mean, when you think about it and you look back, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Can-Am racing because I think that so much R&D, technology, research, everything, it just came out of uh, Can-Am racing because there, was no, there were no rules, really. You just could uh, get away with whatever you could get away with and experiment with whatever you could experiment with. Yeah, and the early days of it was the USRRC. Um, they were. I owned the Lang Cooper at one time, which was a Shelby King Cobra, and designed by Pete Brock. And although it was a, you know, it was state of the art, it was just terrible. I mean, I got out of the car in a cold sweat every time I drove it. So I, I sold it shortly thereafter, and uh, and the, and the guy that bought it said it was terrible. And they didn't understand downforce. They didn't understand uh, the underside of the car and how it worked. And, and, you know, the, and you're right, it was Can-Am that kind of pushed the uh, 
envelope of uh, of aerodynamics and uh, ending with the uh, the shadows in the 91730 Porsche from your perspective you know the GT cars and the Can-Am cars were they relatively similar in a way mm, no 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 the GT cars are more like a brick <laughs> brick at that time yeah at that time uh later they you know you're you're constricted with a GT car and it has to be two seat and generally it has to be a coupe so you, um, the aerodynamic package is not going to be the same as what you have with a with a Can-Am or a prototype car, and um, they uh, a lot has been done with the aerodynamics with the underside of the car that no one ever thought about. You know, I was, I was with Smokey Unique one time. We were talking about what everybody refers to as the seven eight Chevelle, and he told me it wasn't a seven eight size car. Um, later, it came out that it was the first NASCAR car that. Uh, that understood ground effects, and if you ever noticed it when it ran, um, with um, oh, let's see, who, who, I'm trying to think of who drove it. It was uh, um, ha, I drew a blank. Um, wasn't Junior Johnson, was it? No, 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 no. Um, Somebody like Yarborough or anybody like that? No, or? I'll get it in a minute. Buck so, Baker. Anyway, um, he always ran the low groove, uh-huh. and everybody saying, well, you know, how's he sticking down low? Well, he had he had more downforce than anybody else. And uh, um, so he could run the low groove, which is a shorter way around and, and the, the faster way. So um, it was uh, uh, the seven eight Chevelle was one of the first of the the, the NASCAR cars that truly understood uh, uh, ground effects. What did Smokey Unique do to that car underneath the car that made it uh, work so well? Well, I, you know, Smokey built the car, but a lot of that was with input from General Motors. Oh. Uh, it, it was kind of the ad hoc uh, factory team. Okay. That, uh, Did they have access to a drink? me now. I can't recall uh, um, the, the driver's name. He was famous. He was famous for drinking and flying. So oh, <laughs> drinking and Okay. Um, one of the one of your listeners will call in and, and make me look like a fool, but yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it was uh, um, it was a ground effects car. It was it one of the Allison brothers? Was it? No, no, no. Uh, okay, uh, I'll get to it in a minute. As okay. soon as we hang up, I'll think of it. At three o'clock in the morning, it will come to me. Okay, and you have to do what Carol Shelby did: roll over and write a note down on your uh, nightstand. Well, I do that. I keep a pad by the nightstand for the Concord, and I write things down, and I get up in the middle of the night, and I get up in the morning and can't read my handwriting. <laughs> well, let's talk about Amelia Island. What do you got going on? I mean, we got Jackie X. The legendary Jackie yeah. X is yeah. the uh, honoree. Six-time Le Mans winner, yeah. Yeah, and uh, in fact, I think, was, was, it, was it 1969, he was actually driving one of the GT40s that barely yeah, beat John, Porsche John by... Yeah, Wire, uh, Ford GT40. That car will be here. Okay. Car, he won the race with 50 years ago. And uh, uh, we'll have a number of the cars he ran here. Uh, Porsche's flying over the uh, the 77 Le Mans winner, which he drove with uh, uh, Jurgen Barth and, uh, and Hurley Haywood. So, uh, and Jurgen is coming over. So it'll be a reunion of of uh, the drivers of, of uh, the Le Mans winner. Okay. And that's pretty cool. Is Hans Hermann going to be over here by any chance? No, no. Uh, I think he's getting a little bit old to travel. Okay. Yeah. 
So what else we got cooking there? I think you got cars and stars or star cars of the stars. I think that's a... uh, cars of the guitars. Oh, cars yeah. of guitars. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's pretty cool. Uh, Chris Brewer put that together. We got John Oates working with him on it. Okay. Cars owned by famous guitarists or jazz legends, and, and uh, that's pretty cool. Okay. And uh, I, I've done one, which is one of the crazy ones. You know, I I like goofy classes, and this uh, we're going to do. Uh, uh, custom coachwork Volkswagens. Oh, and these were done in Europe back in the fifties. They were done by Romesh and Danhausen and Staus, and uh, we got some real surprises. Some really neat cars. I mean, many people bought, look by and say, "Well, that's an early Porsche," but no, it's a Volkswagen. So, well, now a lot of people aren't familiar, but apparently, you could actually order from Porsche back in the day from Ferry and his. Uh, you could actually just buy a rolling chassis, right? You know, I don't know. Uh, I know with the Volkswagen, because they were so cheap, they bought you know a Volkswagen bug and pulled the body off and then did these wild bodies. Uh, you know, we've got one that uh, uh, is very American-looking. It's got a wraparound windshield and a, like a Buick sweep spear down the side. It's really cool. Uh, and then that, that was done by Romash. Well, Romash... We've got the car coming that belonged to Audrey Hepburn. It's unrestored, and it's kind of scruffy-looking, but it's the Audrey Hepburn Romesh. They did one for uh, Gregory Peck. I mean, these were really trick-looking cars, but they were Volkswagens. And, uh, you know, a lot of the other shows feature Italian car, Italian coachwork, Vignale or or Bertone or something like that. And we decided, well, let's just do these Volkswagens. No one's ever done them. And uh, the Volkswagen factory's flying three over from their museum, which is pretty cool. And so, uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. Symposiums. Who's uh, who are some of the guests? Oh, that's going to be the fun ones. The one is uh, the Porsche 962, (coughs) and we've got a lot of the drivers who drove the 962 uh, that are going to be on the panel. Derek Bell, Jackie Eeks. Uh, Brian Redmond even put some time in 962. David Hobbs, uh, Mark Raffoff, who did the rules for the 962. Rob Dyson, who's got the first uh, uh, customer 962. That'll be fun. But the one I'm looking forward to, and this is not to say the 962 isn't going to be popular. It will be. Is uh, Ray Evernham is uh, hosting Racing Around the Rules? Oh, for uh, we got Andy Petrie and uh, Kevin Jeanette. And uh, Jay Signori from Pinsky, and um, uh, uh, let's see who else we got. Uh, oh, Steve Roby from McLaren, and they're going to talk about how they interpreted the rules. Now, some people may call that cheating. We <laughs> call it cheating. We call it racing around the rules. Like when uh, uh, Pinsky figured out there was no rules on how high a fuel rig had to be, so to get the fuel to flow fast, they built a fifteen-foot. Uh, refueling uh, rig. Well, of course, that was outlawed after one or two races. But <laughs> they, it's all in how they interpreted the rules. You know, so uh, racing around the rules is going to be fun. Uh, Andy Petrie is bringing the uh, uh, the deck lid from the Harry Gant uh, car that was uh, hydraulically activated. So going down the straightaway, he could lift the deck lid and create more downforce in the back. And uh, 
Uh, Kevin Jeanette is bringing in the nitrous oxide bottles that were hidden in the rocker panels of the Whittington Brothers 935. So. <laughs> oh, back in the I'm 80s. I'm looking forward to that. Because, you know, last time we tried this, I had Spinny Clinton from Childress Racing and Leonard Wood from Woods Brothers, and they wouldn't open up. I said, you guys are like two doctors in a malpractice suit. You're not going to say a thing, are you? <laughs> and they said, uh, uh, no, um, uh, we didn't do that. I said, I didn't say you did it. I said that somebody did it, and uh, uh, and then they just wouldn't open up. But, you know, there was such things as, are you, are you familiar with porous intake manifolds? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, that, that was one of the things, too. <laughs> and, you know, they, they, that's what they... Uh, was it smoking? Oh, I, I finally remembered who it was who drove the... Uh, Chevelle, it was Curtis Turner. Curtis Turner, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Famous for landing his plane on a street and going into a 7-Eleven and buying a six-pack and taking off. Where did he do that at? I don't know, somewhere up in Virginia. Okay. You know, he, he was fearless in an airplane. It's lucky he didn't get killed in one. Um, wow. But he was something else. Was it Eunuch that was uh, supposedly caught doing something and they made him pull the gas tank out and then something about cheating and then he just went ahead and they fired the car up and they drove off with it which kind of the, basically the, the story was they came to and said mr eunuch we found 22 violations of the rules and he argued with him and he cranked the car up with the gas tank on the on the floor and on the ground and drove away he says well now you got 23 <laughs> i asked him about that we were at lunch one time and i said smoky that's the greatest story around. What can you tell me about it? He says, you know, I hear the story all the time. I don't remember it, but it makes a good story, doesn't it? I said, it certainly does. <laughs> so, he, was, uh, he didn't remember it, but like I say, it's a great story. So guys like Smokey Eunuch, how many guys were as innovative as him that you can recall back in the day? Well, there, there were a lot of guys who never got credit for their, for their innovation. I would say that... Uh, you know, the Pinsky organization with uh, uh, Mark Donahue, Jay Signori, uh, uh, Chuck Cantwell, uh, they they were very innovative. You know, when, when uh, they showed up at Daytona with a Ferrari 512, that car was really, uh, you know, it outqualified the 917 Porsches, the factory 917 Porsches, outqualified every other Ferrari, 512, 512M, 512S. And it was trick. I mean, when Pinsky got the car, it was a year old. He had buried plastics in California, build a new body, which was really lightweight. And this was the Kirk White car. Had Traco do the engine. You know, Traco did all his V8s. So when that car got to Daytona, it was really, really, really tricky. And it would have won the race had not uh, uh, Tom Neal's 911 blown a tire and rolled on top of it in the <laughs> banking in the middle of the night. It finished third overall, taped together. Wow. Yeah. Well, the, the the running joke is is that our joke or cliche, if you will, is you know it's everything's got to be Penske perfect. I mean, Penske just uh, it's kind of like when he rolls up the race, people used to say, "Well, there there goes the race. There's the winner." Yeah, we were talking. <laughs> I was talking with Don Robertson today about how they work on people's brains. You know, uh, the teams work on each other's brains. You know, try to get the the psychological advantage. And he was talking about Don Garlitz one time, and they were, I forget where they were, uh, but they were sitting there and, and they were staging, it was, I think it was Gainesville, they were getting ready to stage top fuelers, and they, they were all together waiting for their push start to get up on the on the uh, starting line. And 
Garland's just looking around. He's looking up. He's looking at the sky. He's looking down. He says, you know, it's, uh, the air is pretty thick today. So he took, his guy brought out the little pan that goes on top of the motor, and they, right there while they're waiting to get pushed up on the grid, they take the injectors out and fool around. And, and then, you know, it looks like they're changing injectors, put them back in, and he went off, and of course he won. And everybody else panicked, and they went back to the, the garage and got injectors and changed everything, you know, thinking what the, the big knew something. And it turns out he pulled the injectors out, put them on the tray, put the same ones back in again. He was working on their brain, you know. <laughs> Good story. Yeah. When did you start um, doing photography? And I know you're, you've got some amazing, uh, an amazing collection of stuff. You, was that like in the mid-60s and stuff you started going uh, yeah i really started i when i was in high school i went to sebring 1960 and 61 okay and i wasn't a serious photographer then i had a yashica d which was a 46 dollar twin lens reflex but i still have the images from from that race and they they were pretty acceptable you know the, the lens was sharp and but seriously i started in uh, 67 with sports car graphic i went off to college at the citadel and i couldn't get away for races so i was kind of a, you know put on the back burner until 67 i graduated in 66 so in 67 i started going to the races and i i started doing stuff for uh uh sports car graphic and then in 71 road and track picked me up wow and at the whole and, and while this was going on you were kind of weren't you trying to in the process of building your business too i mean wasn't oh yeah doing the business and then i was in the florida air national guard so one weekend I was doing guard duty, and two weekends I was on the road doing races. And one weekend was kind of a breather around the house. <laughs> did you back in those days? Did you get a chance to go to Le Mans and to some of the tracks overseas? I went to Le Mans. I, I'd had a bad crash in, in in Sebring, and I ended up in the hospital. And I was kind of emotionally down. And Bob Costanza from the Daytona Speedway says, "Look, you need to go somewhere. Let's go to Le Mans." So in eighty. 80- Hello. You there? Oh. Uh, you're breaking up. All of a sudden, I lost you, Bill, there. Can you hear me? Hello? Why don't you call him right back? Anyway, uh, in case you just tuned in or tuned out, uh, you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, we had uh, my good friend on, Bill Warner, founder and CEO of the Amelia Island Concourse d'Elegance. Now, since 1996... It is 20, what does that make it? 27 years. Uh, darn. I guess we'll, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get him back on the air. No, excuse me, not 20-something, 30-something. 33 years. I think I need to go back to school, learn mathematics. But at any rate, um, I think Jim, Tommy's got him back on the air. Bill, you there? Yeah, I don't know what happened. The phone just went dead, but, you know, it's technology today technology well are you on a cell phone or a landline no i'm on a landline You're on la- oh so a landline went dead wow that's that's Oops. so much for technology <laughs> bill you there oh no not again we're losing you again try to try try to call him back darn uh we lost you again bill we're gonna try it again here but hey you know the marvels of technology but anyway, uh, Amelia Island is the uh, second week in March, so it starts March 7th, 2019. If you get a chance, visit the website, AmeliaIsland.com, AmeliaIslandConcourseElegance.com, AmeliaIslandConcourse.com. And uh, you can find some, uh, if you've never been there, 
it is truly an event that you need to attend. It needs to be on your bucket list. I talk about four major events a year. I talk about Amelia Island. I talk about Monterey. I talk about SEMA, and I talk about Scottsdale. But Amelia Island is just one of my favorites. The, the Sunday concourse, anything and everything that you can possibly think of will be there. Bill, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what the, elect, the modern electronics. Um, you know, things aren't like they used to be. It's very difficult to get around tracks nowadays, and and uh, the insurance companies and everything else. They've taken some of the magic out of what used to be uh, the ability to shoot a race. I, I, I've lost my uh, enthusiasm for doing it. It's too, uh, too sterile. That's kind of what uh, Vic Elford said there in that little uh, video clip. He says that racing's gotten real sterile and too commercial and too businesslike. And, and it I'm, is. You know, I, I've got a favorite shot of mine that uh, that Ferrari used and and Moet and Shandon of Andretti on top of the Ferrari 512 at Sebring. Trophy in the air, champagne spraying. Nowadays they come in, they line them up, they put the baseball caps on for Goodyear, then the baseball caps are X on, then the baseball caps, they line them up, and everybody grins and shakes hands, and it's just not, you know, it just, it, it takes all the serendipitous excitement out of the race and just makes it look too damn corporate. That's exactly, you couldn't have said it any better than that, that's exactly the way it is. What are some of the other feature race cars you're going to have there this year? What are some of the classes? Uh, a class of the 962s. I think we've got 11 of those lined up. Okay. Uh, we're doing a short wheelbase Berlinetta Ferraris. We've got, um, I think, seven of those, including the third-place Le Mans car from Bruce uh, Meyer uh, oh. and some custom coach work. Uh, let's see. Uh, we got a Jackie Eakes cars. I think we've got 11 of those, including two 312 P Ferraris and the GT40 and and his IROC Camaro and, and this year we've got the two rotor Corvette coming that was done in '74 a mid engine Corvette that had a twin rotor engine that GM had thought of doing. So was this that experimental one that looked like a yeah. supposedly the Astrovet or something like that? Well, the Astrovet was the four rotor. Oh, okay. And later it got um, it got a Chevy V8 put in it. Okay. Uh, this is the two-rotor. It was done by Panin Farina to a design by Kip Wasinko at General Motors. Kip did? Uh, it, it wasn't Bill Mitchell's favorite car. It, uh, the front end's a little ungainly. It looks a little bit like um, like a Saturn, but the rear three-quarter's pretty good. It looks Porsche 928, the rear three-quarters. But it's coming from London, England. Huh. Yeah. So what do you still have in your collection? I know you had a uh, Munch jet there one time. You had a beautiful... Yeah, it's up in Detroit waiting for its engine to be finished here in Jacksonville, and then it'll be finished. Okay. And uh, I'm just finishing a 50, 63 Buick Riviera. Oh. And I've got uh, the Ferrari Daytona and a Ford GT and a 57 Cadillac Eldorado Barrett's convertible and a 58 Eldorado Broom. And then I bought my old Firehawk car a couple of years ago, the car at uh, Jack Baldwin and I. And Charlie McCarthy finished fifth in it at uh, Watkins Glen. And I don't know what I'm going to do with it. You know, Firehawk cars weren't very fast. They were designed for handling and braking. And, and uh, they only had about they had less than 300 horsepower. So. Now, when did you race? Was that the late 70s, early 80s? I started in 1977, and I raced. Well, I'm still racing vintage, but I, I quit serious racing about 92. Really? Yeah. So you raced with Jack Baldwin? Yeah. I hear he's a pretty doggone good driver. He was always two seconds a lap faster than me at Watkins Glen, no matter how fast I could go. He was uh, 
he was always faster. I'd try as hard as I could, and I'd we'd look at the watch, and eh, he was he was better. A friend of mine races uh, in HSR because Baldwin races in that, and my friend yeah. has a nine nine one, and Baldwin dusts him off in a Cayman. That's, yeah, that, he's good. He's, he's good. really good. <laughs> he's really yeah. I'm thinking you get beat by a Cayman. That's uh, and you're in a nine eleven. Then uh, dang, you know. Well, see, I wasn't scheduled to drive with him. It was Charlie McCarthy Senior and Charlie McCarthy the third, and I were at Watkins Glen, and the rain uh, the race started in the rain, and Charlie Senior was in the car. Well, Charlie Junior goes out to get his jacket out of the car and gets struck by lightning. Huh? And he goes to the hospital. Of course, his dad comes out of the car. I'm the only guy left in it. So um, Baldwin's car had broken down, and uh, I sent my son down, and I said, go see if Jack will drive with me. I need another driver, because I could, back then the rules were you could do two back-to-backs, which was four hours. And uh, after that, I had to find another driver. So Jack came over, and we drove together, and we went from like 13th on the grid to like 46th on the grid, and come Sunday morning, we were 5th, and, and we were we were flying. Wow. And you it, was, dri- it was fun. Jack Jack's a great guy. What were you driving? Chevy Camaro. Oh, okay. So this is the Firehawk. Yeah. Oh, that was the year they had those orange cars lined up all over the place. 77, 78, somewhere around there? Uh, this, what year or numbers? We were running number... Uh, no, no, no. no the, because I think General Motors, they actually had a... You guys were running the Firehawk series. They had the Camaros out there, and then they actually came out with a commemorative streetcar version of it. And I remember being in the infield. They had all these orange Camaros all over the place. Oh, that was the uh, the Huggers. That the was hugger. later. That oh, was okay. a Tom Neal deal. Okay. Tom Neal, who and I, who used to, he and I used to race together. He had a GMC truck dealer. So he talked the Southeast Chevy Dealers Association to buying uh, a specially done car by Bill Mitchell. So they did uh, 99 of them. In fact, Steve Boyle, who helps me out on my car, has the old race car. So what Tom Neal did was he funded his race at Daytona by selling 99 of these cars to the Chevy dealers. They were called Huggers. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember being there. That we got a few minutes left. You have some yeah. stunning Mercedes 500 and 540Ks. 540Ks. Yep. I think we got eight of those. So we got the one that belonged to Jack Warner. Of, of uh, uh, Warner. Producer, uh, we've got the wow. Autobahn Courier, which is probably one of the rarest. There were only three of those built. One's in Iran, and one's here. And I don't know where the third one is. I don't think anybody knows where the third one is. So a 500 and a 540, um, it's basically the bike. One's more of a roadster. Is that the way it is? One's a cabriolet? No, they were both. You can't. In many cases, you can't tell a 500 from a 540. One was a 5.4 liter. It was a 5 liter. They were supercharged, and they were the ultimate. If you were, if you were really, really, really wealthy, you drove a Mercedes 500 or 540K. I mean, these these were cars made for the heads of state and. And uh, the, like the Jack Warner's of the world, you know, the movie producer, he he had the 540K. So relative to a Duesenberg or a Rolls Royce, the 540K was like uh, yeah. that was the top of the pecking order. That ilk, except it was a little bit more sporty. Okay, and they were relatively fast for their time too, weren't they? Yeah, well, that's why they called one the Autobahn Courier. It was designed to run on the Autobahn, at, you know, above 100 miles an hour. This is now you got to think of that. This is. This is back in uh, 1938. Yeah. yeah. Jeez. Well, Bill, we're up against the clock, so why don't you go ahead and give a big shout-out to uh, everybody and then tell everybody how they can find out about Amelia Island. Yeah, go to www.ameliaconcor.org. Uh, uh, we're a 501c3 charitable foundation. 
and uh, all the schedules are on there, and uh, uh, we're just praying for good weather. You know, we've had to move the show two years in a row because of bad weather, so we're, we are owed a good day. We are owed a good day. Well, we look forward to it. Bill, always, as it's a pleasure to have you on the show. I really value our friendship, and uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. And sure. again, all the best, and you do have the best show on the planet. You really do. So Thanks, Robert. We work at it. Okay. Well, I'll see you in uh, March. Right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take take care. I want to thank my special guest, Bill Warner, founder and CEO of the Amelia Island Concourse Deligance. And I mean it, guys. Bill is a true car guy. And what makes his show so special is he gets into the cars. You just, if you listen to the interview, he's into the cars. He understands the cars. He, he's passionate about the cars. That's what makes his show, show so special. And uh, I cannot overemphasize that. Anyway, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night on the Tam Talk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Check out GolfStreamMotorsports.com, the website. You can find out all about us. And don't forget to check out our archive page. Social media, GolfStream Motorsports, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I think we're on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And hey, check out Boneyard Bob, the angry car guy. And don't forget to visit Fastlane Travel. For European driving tours in Porsches, up and down the Autobahn and across the Alps, into Switzerland, Germany, Austria, France. And, hey, I want to see you guys at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.